Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 548. I think it sounds cliche, but it's true that I think you can do anything you put your mind to. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jump start a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jump start any of my vehicles. The compact ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Tyler Casera. Tyler, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? You bet. Let's do this. All right. Tyler Casera is a race car driver and native of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, better known as Amish country, where they drive horse-drawn buggies. Tyler likes working with multiple horsepower vehicles, though, and he started his racing career at the young age of six in quarter midgets on a small asphalt oval in Honeybrook, Pennsylvania. After earning a degree in architecture, he began his career in the live entertainment business and has worked with Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, U2, and the Rolling Stones. And when he's not working at the Tate Towers in a recent venture within the organization or hanging out with rock stars, He's tearing it up with the SCCA U.S. Majors Tour in a 2002 Spec Miata. And in 2015, Tyler was crowned the U.S. Majors Tour National Champion out of 268 competitors. That is cool. So, Tyler, I have told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you share a brief moment and tell us a little bit more about your career, about your racing, and, of course, your passion for driving automobiles really quick? Sure. Thank you for having me. You bet. The passion that I have for cars really started when I was young, or like your introduction said, um, I started racing when I was five and, and my dad was always a car guy. So I was always either racing cars or helping him work on cars or in a shop or, or tinkering here and there. And to be honest, that's actually kind of what led me into the architecture field. It's um, as an architecture, a master builder, um, it's what you kind of learn how to do. You're very hands-on. You know, naturally that sort of mechanical aptitude in ability to design things and invent things is kind of what I wanted to do with my life. And I found myself at Tate Towers in a career that's given me the ability to do that, you know, while obviously still being able to uh, follow through on my passion for cars and, and racing and um, it gives me the ability to do that. So I'm really lucky uh, to, to have the opportunities I do. And and like you said, I, I race pretty competitively in SCCA, uh, always always looking for the next opportunity, the next challenge. You know, but right now, uh, I'm, I'm racing in effectively the, I'd say the most competitive series uh, in amateur racing in, in probably the entire world. 
Yeah, James Kearney, who was a past guest here on Cars Yeah and is a great driving coach, recommended and connected us together and said, hey, you got to talk to Tyler. He's one of those guys that's figured out how to have a career in something outside of cars, but still fully integrate his life into racing and be be out there on the track and be competitive. And I wanted to have you on the show to show those listeners out there that say, you know what, how can I do both? Well, if Tyler figured it out, maybe there's a way I can figure out as well. And before we get into some of these first questions, tell us a little bit more about on the architecture side, what you do, take towers, and it's kind of intriguing. You're working with all these rock stars. So how does that relate to architecture? Sure. So our, our company, uh, Tate Towers, has roots in um, rock and roll and touring entertainment. Started in 1978, and then as we've sort of grown up over the past 40 years, have found ourselves, you know, as we've grown, um, branching into these these different markets. And so I came in about uh, nine years ago when uh, we were just strictly doing uh, rock and roll shows, touring entertainment, mm-hmm. and coming from an architecture background was always, you know, very driven and, but very keen to kind of figure out what the next move, um, is. And about a year and a half ago, I saw an opportunity to bring our technology platform to the architectural market, given my background and my skill set and some of the relationships I had built. Um, I saw an opportunity to, you know, help grow the business in that direction. But more specifically, we're a company, we provide end-to-end solutions for Taylor Swift and you know, Lady Gaga on the Rolling Stones and Cirque du Soleil. We design, engineer, manufacture, test, install, and then put on these uh, these massive spectacle shows uh, around the world um, every single night. I see. Okay, so you're designing the sets, the the displays they use, the environment in which they perform in. Yeah, all the, and all the um, the complicated technology, automation, robotics, and everything that goes along with making that that possible and something that's repeatable, um, okay. you know, day in and day out. Very cool, very cool. You know, I had a past guest, John Campion, on the show that uh, started his career in providing power to rock and roll shows and amplifiers around the world and built that into a huge company. And now he's got a big collection of vintage rally cars. And so it's interesting to have him on the show to see how he integrated that and created something that provided him with a lifestyle around cars as well. So Well, as we continue on our journey, I always like to start with a success quote. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So some kind of a mantra, some kind of a saying that has some meaning to you. So Tyler, take the wheel. All right. Now, this is contested on who actually said this, but if you look on the internet, they'll say Thomas Jefferson said this. He said, I'm a great believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. You know? <laughs> yes. So in my opinion, there I think there are so many people in the world today that carry a chip on their shoulder, and you know, when life doesn't go their way, and you know, whether it be in my professional career or my racing endeavors, I try to approach you know, every opportunity with the mindset that nobody's going to just hand it to me and that I really have to earn it. So when it comes to achieving my goals in life, it's up to me to do whatever is necessary to kind of make it happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I love that saying as well. And I always tell people when they say, I'm so lucky. And I say, well, you know what? Luck is where preparation and opportunity collide into each other. Exactly. So much of the luck that we call luck uh, is really people that have prepared, they've worked hard and they see an opportunity, just like that line in the curve as you head into an apex and you think you can dive in there and pass that guy on the inside. That's exactly what happens. So Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment, as you can remember, maybe when you got a little older that you realized, oh, man, I'm a car guy? My Really, my passion for cars, you know, started when I was six, and you mentioned quarter midgets. You know, I was lucky enough to have a father who was a great, 
you know, mentor and father figure for me and who was also a car guy. And when I was six, decided for whatever reason to get me into, into racing and um, bought me a quarter midget. It was kind of right around the same time that, you know, you're just starting to get old enough. You're starting to understand sports and rules and television and how everything works. And so I started to become very into uh, watching IndyCars cars and NASCAR and stuff on TV really was intriguing to me, just how it all worked and the rules and the preparation. And actually that was sort of in the late nineties, which was later than when I started racing quarter midgets, but I got into simulators and stuff like that. And, you know, my parents spent a lot of time driving my sister up and down the East coast playing soccer. And, uh, I was always given a choice to play travel ball sports or go racing. And for me, it was a pretty easy choice. You know, I always chose <laughs> racing, Yeah, which is kind of ironic because I guess you'd call it bullying today. But when I was in elementary school, riding the school bus, I felt like an outsider. I was the kid who didn't play the sports, but I, I raced cars and, and, you know, I got kind of made fun of for it. But to be honest, I, I I had so much fun doing it that I didn't care. And my dad always kind of encouraged me to ignore them. And he always told me that wait till they're older because they're going to want to be your best friend someday. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think so. And, <laughs> and it, he was exactly right. And to be honest, that was kind of a, definitely a moment where I learned something about, you know, true friends and what it means to be a friend and not just somebody who wants to latch on to you. So, yeah, you know, I think at those ages, there's a lot of, uh, jealousy, misunderstanding, posturing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I'm just trying to think back. If I had a friend when I was six, seven, eight years old that was racing cars, man, I would have wanted to hang out with that guy. <laughs> take me, take me to the track. I want to see what you're doing. Yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, living, growing up here in Amish country, there's just not a lot of people that, get behind the wheel of a car when you're six. And it's just uh, not yeah. something I think that anybody really understands when they're six unless they do it. So it's, No, uh, I don't think anybody understands that. It's always easier to, uh, to, to make fun of somebody than it is to figure out, you know, what they're doing and, and, and yeah. why. Yeah, I think so. I think at six, I was riding my, my twin Stingray. I was far from driving a car. Once in a while, I got to jump in a friend's go-kart, but that was about it. So I'm, I'm just jealous listening to the story. What fun, what fun. You're a very fortunate young man. So Tyler, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk a little bit about a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way. This could be in your racing career. This could be in your regular career. But the most important part of this question has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? Sure. Going to talk about something that happened to me last year. Actually, I would categorize it, I guess, as my my pro-am debut. I ran, uh, I entered my first MX-5 Cup race last year at Petit Le Mans, and we went kind of a different route. So my dad had bought a car that he was driving we didn't really have any time over the year to set it up or test it. Uh, and so we kind of showed up there with really no experience in the car, no real skills in terms of tuning it. It was much more advanced than the spec Miata that I was driving. But despite all of that, I really had high expectations because I truly believe in my own ability and I wanted to walk away with, you know, a podium finish or two potentially. And that the test day was full wet. The wet is something that I, I love. I love driving in the rain, something that I excel at. And I was immediately jumped into the, probably the top five fastest drivers on the test day, which was incredible. Unfortunately, the qualifying session was dry, which we had no time to practice in and ended up qualifying 13th. Mm, okay. And then naturally the race was wet and I was back in 13th, but I was in the top five in terms of, of lap time. And so I battled for seven laps to get up to fifth place and was battling a fellow uh, spec me out a driver who was really running me pretty hard for how much quicker I felt like I was and finally made the pass coming down into turn 12 onto the front straight at road Atlanta. And I don't know if I was just paying more attention to the pass I was making on him, but 
just carried too much entry speed and I spun and I had about five people behind me and uh, just collected uh, two guys pretty, pretty hard. Oh. Uh, which was not a good situation, you know, to make matters worse. It happened right in front of the pit straight where all the teams and the people were. And, you know, it was pretty gut wrenching for me. It was really, it was the first time I'd ever crashed out of a race. I just not something I'd ever dealt with before, but yeah, yeah I think something that it really taught me was walking away from that was that, you know, when you get frustrated, whether it's in a car or in life or whatever, just take a breath and remain calm. You know, there's no need to push, push the issue. There's other opportunities and they'll come. Yeah. Just be patient, you know. Yeah, it's tough in racing when you have those incidents and you really start to question yourself. You start to question everything. And I think your wisdom is right there. Just take a breath, step back, analyze what happened. How did I lead up into this? What, what made it occur, whether it's my fault, someone else's? Right. And how can I get out of that next time? So it doesn't yeah. happen. So, well, I'm sorry to hear that happen, but I guess a good lesson for you in some ways. Not a very fun lesson. It sounds like you walked away with some knowledge there. So that's great. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story when you had what I like to call a, a career or a racing aha moment. It's a time when those headlights come on and kind of illuminate your way for a new direction or a new course that you've set for yourself. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. Yeah, I touched on it a little bit in the very beginning um, in terms of what I'm doing now with within my company in 2014. And I was already leading the design, entire design department and engineering department of 35 people, um, which I had been doing for about four and a half years. And I was answering to ownership, and there wasn't really much more upward movement that I could that I could do in in sort of that path. And um, within the company was changing, and I really was starting to kind of get a bit underwhelmed by the the day to day and was really trying to figure out what I wanted to uh, out of my life you know I had, I had kind of taken the the career just on, on a I wouldn't say a whim but I took a chance on it and wanted to see where it would go and so like I said in 20 late 2014 I I you know I've been really thinking hard about what to do and where to go and I even contemplated leaving the company and then one day when I wasn't thinking about anything it popped into my head we had just completed this project at Dallas Cowboys Stadium that was in the architectural market, but not really related directly to what our core business was. And um, I thought to myself that if this venue and, and this group of people can make this happen and, and they're willing to pay for this, there's got to be other people out there. And so I started looking you know, into other opportunities that were out there in the market and, and started to feel confident that I could that I could build a, a business around it. And so I, I made a pitch to the one owner of my company to let me go develop this for a year and see where it takes us. Mm -hmm. um, and doing everything from the business development to the business plans to being the forward-facing, client-facing individual, doing some sales, doing technical development. A year and a half later, we've been extremely successful. We have projects happening in London, New York, LA, the Middle East, Southeast Asia. Wow. And some of it is timing, but I think a lot of it for me just was everything kind of coming together and and having the vision and seeing the ability to to pull these pieces together to create something from really virtually nothing. So, Oh, that's awesome. Awesome story. That's my aha moment, I would say, that I, where I really felt like I started to figure out my direction in my career. Yeah, it's awesome. Now, if you could share with our listeners one great takeaway from how you got from one place to the next and then to the success now, what's the one takeaway you would share with people that might help them have that kind of success? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's really easy to get bogged down with what's in front of you, with the things you're dealing with day to day. I was really struggling with this for six months, trying to figure out 
what my next step was and where where to move. And to be honest, like I said, it, it kind of came to me when I wasn't thinking about it and when I had sort of pulled back and was was removed from really being in the trenches. Uh, yeah. And so it came to me and it was it was just a great feeling, a great moment. You don't have those moments that often, but really you have to kind of put yourself in a position where you can be open to these sort of free-flowing thoughts and ideas, which isn't always in the weeds thinking about what the next move is. Right. You kind of pull back. Exactly. You know, I, I've told people this in the past. Sometimes you have to stop rowing the boat and climb up to the crow's nest and look out onto the horizon. Exactly. Because if you're down in the, the hull rowing, you can't see where you're going sometimes and you end up going in a big circle or being frustrated or hitting some rocks or mm-hmm. going ash- going onto land. So, uh, yeah, great to pull back, give it some thought and move forward. So it sounds like great success. Kudos to you for that. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many. You're still a young guy, though, so you have a lot, have a lot coming. But yeah. is there one in particular that stands out? Uh, to be honest, I might only be 31, but I've packed – probably 25 or 30 years worth of some of the other people's careers <laughs> into into my my nine so yeah but yeah I've got I've got a lot I think the one that stands out the most to me was um you know in 2010 I was the project manager and lead technical designer on the Roger Waters wall tour nice which was a huge worldwide tour that went on for three years when the project came to our company I bit off a huge bit of bit of responsibility. I, I ended up running the entire design team. I was the project manager client facing, you know, I was managing their expectations while also being very involved in the in the design and manufacturing of all the equipment. And I worked tirelessly for like six months to bring this multi-million dollar show from a sketch on paper to opening night. I really invested part of me or myself in that project and it I felt that. And so and I watched the entirety of opening night from front of house where all the, the, the sound guys mix the show. And the first song of the set is In the Flesh. And the song concludes with this big moment where the stuka flies over the wall and explodes on the other side. And then everything goes dark and quiet. The moment that that happened, the 18,000 fans just erupt into <laughs> this insane loud cheer. Yeah. Because it's opening night and the, and the, the show has begun. And to be honest, it was that, that sort of, hair on the back of your neck stand, standing up oh, feeling yeah. where you just look around and, and you you know that you've just made some huge impact on all every single one of these 18,000 people. And so for me, that was just an amazing moment in my career and in an experience, you know, being at a show. Very cool. Congratulations. Let's have a little bit of fun and go back in time and talk about your first really special car. And we can talk about a race car too here. Whatever was your first really special vehicle, and maybe you can share a memory you have with that car. Sure. My, I think my probably first really special car happened to be my first car that I ever had, but, um, it was a 2001 Audi A4 that my dad bought it for me and he goes, this is the only car I'm ever buying for you. You mess it up. You're buying the next one. (laughs) Nice car though. Those are awesome. That carried some weight and I was like, okay, I can't screw this one up. Yep. But of course I was already a car guy. The modification scene was just starting to get really hot back then. And growing up in, in, in high school, I worked at an Outback Steakhouse. I was bussing tables in evenings. Uh, and I'd started my own landscaping business. I was detailing cars. I was doing a lot of things to, to make as much money as I could because I just wanted my own sort of independence, my own freedom. And not to mention I wanted to buy parts for my car. Uh, <laughs> yes. so. I give my parents a lot of credit despite giving us an amazing upbringing that they really instilled what it meant, what the value of money was and what it meant to earn something. So after spending, I would say nearly every penny I made on this car, just making it more customized and building it bigger and better, you know, I ended up settling into my, my new job at Tate and, and I ended up 
selling it. Uh, and I think back to that car and the memories that I had in it. It's one of those things that like once it's gone, it, it becomes more special to you than when you had it. But, uh, so many, so many memories and, and, with, with everything that I had done to it, you know, some people might take a classic car and, and build it into something. Well, I took a new car and built it into something and kind of holds that same, that same meaning to me, you know, even though it wasn't a, a classic. Sure. Now, is that your seller's remorse story too, that car, letting it go? Is that the I one actually, you wish you had I actually back? have some buyer's remorse uh, to talk about Oh, there. okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, which leads me into, so obviously I'm a race Mazda, I'm a big Mazda guy, but German cars, I mean, I've owned a ton of Audis, a ton of, um, of uh, German cars, Volkswagens. So being the guy who had the A4, I always wanted the S4. And finally, like I had gotten to a point in my career where, hey, I could afford something nicer and I could get to a point where I could uh, afford that S4 that I've kind of always wanted. And so I bought a 2007 one with the 4.2 liter V8 in it. And I was so excited because it was my first S and it sounded incredible. And it made plenty of really great noises, but it unfortunately just couldn't get out of its own way. <laughs> and it was so front heavy, it handled like a farm tractor. I mean, it was just, it was terrible. It was power band was so high, you, you couldn't go anywhere with it. Um, not to mention the, the just laughable fuel economy. So that was obviously one car that I really wish I would have avoided. Um, mm -hmm. I ended up trading that in a couple of years later on a, on a much newer B8 S4, uh, the one with the V6 supercharged engine in it. And that turned out to be an absolute dream to own. And it was night and different compared to it. So looking back on everything that I've ever owned or sold, uh, that, that's one that I just stands out to me that I just should never have done that. <laughs> well, we all have those in our lives, so don't you worry. Yeah, there'll probably be another one down the road too someday. So uh, you learn the hard way sometimes. Yep. Well, let's talk about today and the future. I'd love for you to talk about what's really got you fired up now and what has you excited and maybe touch a little bit on uh, the kind of racing you're doing, explain it a little more to those listeners out there that don't really understand what the SCCA User Majors Tour is all about. Yeah, sure. The um, SCCA, it's a great organization, um, lots of volunteers involved um, who put on events all around the country uh, and they're they have everything from you know, track night in America where you can take your streetcar out on the racetrack um, and do a guided tour to um, they do regional level racing, they do rally cross, they do time trials, autocross. And then the top level in sports car racing in America right now is is the U.S. Majors Tour Series. So that's taking um, effectively the best road racers in the country and putting them against each other in different divisions around the country and then tallying all those points up and, and putting them together to uh, to compare against for a national points championship. So Spec Miata is uh, one of the top two most popular classes. It draws the most uh, cars on any one weekend. They're all built to a specific set of rules. Uh, so they're meant to more be about driver ability than uh, how much money you've got to dump into your car, how much horsepower you can get out of it. But mm -hmm. it still ends up being a little bit about that. It's just not you know, very limited in what we can do. So, you know, it's, it's an incredible competition. I would say the racing that we have in the Spec Miata class is probably better than 85 to 90% of the pro racing that you see on TV. Nice. And it's just I would say that the level of passion and, you know, the affordability of it is, is something that just draws tons and tons of people to it. And, you know, it's something I, I really love doing. Uh, it's just great camaraderie with the, with fellow racers and, uh, great competition. And I'm always up for a challenge. So <laughs> absolutely. I had Lisa Noble on Cars Yeah last year. She's the president and CEO of the Sports Car Club of America and talked about the club at length. I've been a member for a long, long time. So uh, it's a great organization, great group, and gives uh, those of us who love to drive fast opportunities at all different levels to get out there, oh, yeah. and compete and have fun, or just volunteer and help others out. So uh, yeah, great organization. 
Yep. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Tyler. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? I think you know it also happens to be the car I'd probably most like to own. Um, and <laughs> okay. probably for the for probably for the same reasons that I see myself in this vehicle. I I would have to say it's a 911 GT3 RS. Oh. Which is definitely the RS model, not the not any of the other ones. Um yeah. I think that you know the attention to detail in the RS and the differences over the standard GT3 just give it a little bit of an edge and you know mm-hmm. it's the attention to detail and that's I see that in myself. You know, I'm I'm an extremely inventive problem solver, creative person, which I would say makes me a lateral thinker. And to be honest, there certainly is some lateral thinking going on there when, you know, Ferdinand Porsche designed the 911 with the rear engine, rear drive. Um, So definitely, definitely got something in common there. You know, it's clean, no frills to the point. It's factory roll cage, you know, no rear seats, ground pounding, naturally aspirated V6. I mean, it's pure and, uh, you know, it can be driven around town or shred the competition on the track. And, like I said, I think it's pure and honest in its delivery of its driving experience, which, you know, I like to think that, like, kind of share some of those attributes as well. And um, I think in comparison to all the overpriced, underwhelming supercars that you can buy out there, I think it's got to be one of your one of your best, biggest bangs for your buck oh, in yeah. terms of uh, driving experience. Yeah, they've just refined that model for 60-plus years now. It's My listeners, of course, will know I'm a big fan of Porsche 911s. I've had many of them. Have not had that model. I would sure like to, but nice choice. So, Tyler, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to carsyeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsyeah.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free Filler Up book today at Cars Yeah. All right, Tyler, we're back, and we're entering the last lap. You're a racer. You know what this means. The white flag's out, and it's time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Take care of your car, and it'll take care of you. Uh, it's <laughs> yes. amazing to me how much people complain about car trouble and breakdowns, and I think it's I look at it and I'm like, well, maybe if you change your oil more than every 25,000 miles, you wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> yes. Isn't that true? Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success both on and off the track? Uh, I wouldn't say so much as a ha- of a habit as it is a personal trait of mine. I've been told I have a lot of grit as a person, mm-hmm. meaning when the tough gets tougher, you just keep digging your feet in deeper. And 
never, never give up, never quit attitude. You know, it's got me through some really stressful times and with a calm, level head. And I think it's definitely been a key to my success in business and racing and, and in life. Well, I was wondering when those words were going to come out of your mouth, never give up, because every racer, and I've had a lot of them on the show here, they always repeat that phrase. So I'm glad you said that. How about a resource? Is there one resource in particular you'd like to share with the Cars Yow listeners? Well, I've got a couple. You know, being a true grassroots racer, doing all my own prep work and trackside support, you know, I've got to thank the those that really helped me. And mm-hmm. I think probably the number one supporter has got to be my my dad. You know, he's the biggest supporter that I possibly could ever have. He started this addiction, and I blame him for that. So, <laughs> um, but really, without you know, without Mazda Motorsports and their tremendous support of grassroots motorsports, there's no way I'd be able to do okay. as much racing as I'm doing today. And their support system and contingency programs really help you know, lower budget teams and drivers climb the ladders to success and yeah. can't do this without thanking my wife as well. Stephanie, it's been <laughs> yes. nothing but supportive of my racing career, believe it or not. Well, that, that attitude of gratitude goes a long way and uh, tells us a lot about you as an individual. Uh, great that you use that uh, question to be grateful for those around you. Wonderful. How about a book? Is there a book that you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy as well? Yeah, it's probably speaks to a common thread that uh, is pretty much everything I've talked about, but Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Um, <laughs> yes. Got to put in your 10,000 hours to be world class and you know no one's going to give it to you. You got to earn it. Yep. Sometimes things are out of your control and you might have to work harder than the next guy just to be even with him. So you know, I think there's a lot of great lessons and uh, points of view in that book. Oh yeah. Outliers is a great book. Seat time, seat time, especially in racing, but oh, yeah. in everything in life. So great book. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources Tyler has shared today on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash Tyler. And if you just type Tyler in the search bar, that page will pop up with quick, easy links to all of these things, including the book. There's a great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where this book and all the past 547 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, Tyler, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, and I'll include collector race cars. I'm not talking about the daily driver. I'm not talking about a car that you race today. I'm talking about something fun. But money's no object. I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that vehicle be and why? Vehicle of, of my choice here would have to be a, a 69 Camaro Z28 and a specific one for me, blue with white racing stripes. My dad bought one in the early 90s uh, with really low mileage. A uh, guy just drag raced it. Drove it for a few years as a collector and in the late 90s decided to do a frame-off restoration and um, went to a really high level of detail, making sure every part number was correct and components finishes and platings were all correct and it was something i helped him with as a when i was a kid when i was growing up uh-huh. and he didn't quite finish it until uh, the late 2000s about 2008 2009 I was out of college unfortunately despite all of that never got to drive the car spent so much time working on it that uh, i got to play with it a lot and look at it and admire it but never got to drive it so I, if i could get that one back no matter what i think it's one i would hold on to dearly for for the rest of my life yeah awesome memories wow what a beautiful car too yeah those are great especially the 69 such an iconic year and the z28 ah sounds fantastic well i'll get to work on that for you i yeah. find you that car and get that shipped to you right away what fun Tyler, you've taken me on an awesome ride around the track today. I knew you would, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you rip off down this raceway in that 69 Camaro Z28? 
Sure. I think it sounds cliche, but it's true that I think you can do anything you put your mind to. You know, be ambitious, be hungry, be proactive, be inventive, set goals. Most importantly, be relentless in your pursuit of your dreams. And if you do those things, you'll be successful. Absolutely. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you, what you're doing, and uh, also see what you're doing in your career as well? Uh, sure, they can follow me on uh, Twitter, at uh, Tyler Casera. They can follow me on my website, tylercasera.com, and also uh, my Facebook page, uh, Tyler Casera. Awesome. Great. And the website for your business, what's that? That's uh, tatetowers.com. Awesome. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Tyler shared with us on his show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R, Casera, K-I-C-E-R-A, in the search bar, and that page will pop up. Tyler, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!